Good morning, folks. Welcome to Outback with Jack, which I believe is uh, episode 2994 of the Survival Podcast, if I've got that number right. We're hanging out here on the back porch. It's almost t-shirt weather, but it is with the uh, the heater on behind me. That's why that's on back there, so I don't have to be uh, wearing jackets or anything like that. Anyway, I've got a uh, pretty decent group of topics that we're going to hit on today. And then, as always, uh, for those on the live stream, I am going to open up to uh, questions and comments in, in the uh, comments section from YouTube. We are streaming on YouTube, Float, and Odyssey today, but with one laptop sitting out here on the porch, um, I really can't see your comments from Float or Odyssey. So if you want to play the comment game, uh, you're going to have to come over to YouTube for now, at least until they maybe up their game a little bit with that where it can interface with the streaming software and I can consolidate into one place. Anyway, um, let's, uh, let's hammer on some stuff. And I will tell you that when you comment in the live stream, all caps is a way to get my attention, but I'm going to tell you like ah, a couple, like when I get to my last bullet point, I'm going to tell you like now's the time to start dropping it to account for the delay. Cause if you do it right up front, I'm probably not going to see it because I'm trying to keep focus and roll on. And we will hear from Billy Roy Bob the Rooster today. He's right behind the camera. He's looking like he wants to fight. He got a pretty good smackdown today, but uh, I'm sure he will be speaking up during this as well. All right, so I want to start out with something that is somewhat political. I try not to be too political, but it's more like, see, this is what you're dealing with political. And I think we really need to understand this, and it leads to a conversation to have with my wife as well. So... The House, I don't think it's been through the Senate yet, and who knows if maybe Manchin will continue to be the adult in the room. Um, but the, the House just passed a bill allocating $400 million to build a national database to track every American status as far as whether or not they've had certain injections. And, of course, everybody's thinking it's the, uh, it's the COVID jab here. That's part of it. I think what's more important to understand about this, number one, 80 Republicans sold out 100% and voted for this. With no necessity, this didn't need to happen, right? You got to understand that. This didn't need to happen. Um, the, the House is, is clearly controlled by the uh, Democrats. The Democrats could have got this through with no, <clears throat> what they call bipartisan support. So we'll get to that in a second, but I want to talk about the larger implication here. So, since everybody's so focused on the COVIDs, everybody thinks it's the COVIDs is the problem. And it's a problem in a much larger portfolio of problems. Because this is not for COVID jab status. It's for all jab status. So to me, like, but this database, Jack, you're going to have us all in this database. They can take this. This is, for those that can't see on camera, on double middle fingers. This is me in your database. I am a 50-year-old man. I have had every one of those jabs of every kind that I'm ever going to get ever for the rest of my life. I will never be in your database. Um, some people are 100% no jabs of any kind at all for themselves and their children. I not so much. I do think that some of the 
the, the, the vaccines we've developed over time are actually really helpful to humanity. I think that smallpox works, whether you want to admit that or not, is up to you, but it does. So what this means is that many parents who are going to say, we're not doing this, this COVID thing for the pandemic are going to still be like, well, I want to get my kids vaccinated, right? I want to, I, I want to get polio and smallpox and, and what have you. And you can say you're not gonna, I know I have a huge group of you guys that are like, none, ever, none. Okay, fine, that's you. We're talking about your fellow Americans here who you're on the same side of, most of the time anyway. Those people end up in that database. This becomes a tracking database that will track the majority of Americans as to their status for medical treatments, whether they want to be tracked or not. So... There he is. So anyway, get off of there. Right. So anyway, um, if you think about it, one of the things we've always been concerned about is something similar being done with firearms ownership, which, by the way, has totally been done uh, by different law enforcement organizations and already exists without any approval from Congress. Just saying they have that. If you look at what's going on with COVID's. With these, you know, vaccine passports and stuff like that. This is like the first perfect brick in the wall toward building something akin to China's social credit score. It's just one criteria. Are you protected by protecting your fellow man from being properly shot up with chemicals, right? And they're also going to use this to send out reminders Like, hey, did you, Bill, did you know you need your 47th booster? Or, hey, as an adult, Bill, you're still supposed to get your DPT or whatever, you know. Um, then on top of this, they're going to look at it for vaccination rates by zip code and determine there's extra money. And, of course, they'll keep throwing money in because they can print it and throw money in. And certain places will need help to get to higher levels. And again, not just for the COVID's crap, but for any shot they deem necessary for humanity. And that means money. And what it means is the party in control, right now that would be the Democrats, the future could be the Republicans, will be able to use this to reward or control jurisdictions and <laughs> And zip codes and, and areas and cities and regions by pumping money in under the auspices of, oh, we have to help them get more, more, more shots done. <laughs> Which is absolutely asinine and it's not going to change. Like if you notice, like the, the, the numbers have remained pretty consistent to who's willing to do this and who isn't. And I bet you if you went back and figured out like adults that get, <laughs> he's going to have to go, man. I got a pellet gun back there, dude. Um, Adults that are supposed to get, you know, they say adults are supposed to get certain boosters of, of certain immunizations we get when we're children. Um, yeah, no, most of us don't. And it's proof that it's not necessary because we've never had any kind of major breakout of measles or any of the things where the, the, the vaccine actually works. This is really bad. But what I wanted to talk about more in it is understanding corporatism, uh, if that word is the word you want to use for this or <clears throat> the more accurate word uh, that some people get triggered by fascism and what's really going on here so you know everybody wants to call them rhinos republicans in name only i think we need to stop using that term when when you have a huge 
huge majority of a group that tends to behave a certain way, you just start saying that's what that group of people do. Um, but again, there is absolutely no need for these Republicans to have crossed over and voted for this thing unless they actually wanted it to happen and they wanted to be on record with wanting it to happen for some reason, right? That doesn't necessarily mean that they wanted it to happen because I think it's a good idea and they're all for it, but maybe there's a reason that they wanted it to happen, as in there is a benefit to them doing what they're told. So my wife and I were talking about this because she gets really political at times and she's a voter and she's going to do this and that. And, and you know me, I'm more like, okay, like when I think my vote counts, maybe I will possibly because I'm not big on the slavery suggestion box. But she'll, and, and part of the problem with that is people get caught up and they think that the power lies in the hands of the congressman or the senator or the president or whatever, and they don't know where the real power lies. So the analogy I gave her, and she snapped to it like that fast when I did, is let's imagine that you and your friends and whatever are sitting in your living room and nobody's armed, nobody has a gun on them, and somebody just kicks your front door in and walks in, and they've got a full-on rock and roll Arnold Schwarzenegger freaking you know, M60 with the freaking belt around their back, machine gun pointed at you. And then, like, two more guys come in and flank with the same setup. And you know they're serious, right? Like, remember in Tombstone, the old Tombstone with uh, uh, Val Kilmer played Doc Holliday, and I can't think of the guy's name now. Uh, Kurt, I think it was Kurt Russell played uh, played Wyatt, and uh, Sam Elliott played uh, Virgil or that one. And there's a scene in it where some shit's going down and Ike Clanton is running his mouth and freaking uh, Wyatt pulls the freaking gun out, cocks the hammer back and says, I will turn your head into a canoe. And one of the other like cowboy gang members is like, yeah, yeah, uh, I think he's bluffing. And Ike's like, no, he's not. Like he knows, like this guy's going to open my cap. Like it's, that's the understanding you have. These people will mow you down and they start giving you orders. You're going to do what they say, and you're going to do what they say under the threat of violence. That's how government works. That's how government works. Government is using force by proxy. It's not as obvious. It's more of a, it's an iron fist, but it's got a velvet glove. They make the trains run on time. They make things look good. But you have a gun leveled at you on every law that's ever been passed ever. Okay? Great. In our scenario, though, where those three men come into your home and point those three machine guns at you, who's in charge? The men or the machine guns? Who actually has the power? Does the gun, if, if they threw the machine guns through your front door and said, you better do what the gun says, and they taped a note to the gun that said what they wanted you to do, what would you do? You would pick the gun up and point it out your window and go, I don't think so, bitch, right? Only when the man comes in with the gun, right, or in the future maybe robots, but then still somewhere there's somebody controlling that robot, either with keystrokes or a joystick, who's in charge? Who has the power? Who's giving the orders? The person holding the gun. Okay, in our system of government, which is fascist corporatism, the people holding the gun are the corporations, and the gun is the Congress itself. And it's more like 
Congress is the firing pin that initiates the action that sends the projectile down the barrel and various forms of regulations and government and funding for their mandates that tells local entities and federal agencies enforce this shit. But they're not in charge. And that's what this shows you clearly, because let's say you were a Republican. It's not exactly beneficial to you right now in this moment as a Republican Congress clown to say, I'm voting for a federal uh, shot database, right? A federal jab database. That's not politically astute. You probably shouldn't do it. But not eight of them, 80 of them did it. Now, who do you think told them to do it? A, Santa Claus, because Christmas is coming. B, the elf on the shelf that works for Santa. C, the Easter Bunny, because he feels left out this time of year. Or four, the pharmaceutical corporation lobbies. Who do you think got those 80-ass clowns to vote for this thing against their best political interest? The corporations that said, we want this to be bipartisan. Don't worry, we've done the, and, and what they did, they have their, their lobbyists go, who are the safe, who are the safe clowns? Who are the ones that if they have an R after their name, they're gonna get elected no matter what, and they're not gonna get primaried, and they target them and they go in and say, we want this to look this way. That's the only explanation you have because there's no way this is beneficial. There's no way if they're actually worried about being primaried out, This helps them not be primaried out. No way. This is not good politically, but they did it anyway. And if you don't understand that the corporations like like Moderna and Pfizer that are right now making something like $10,000 a second on one product, the jab, that we paid for as as the, the public funded all the research of and development of this thing, We paid for it, and now we're paying for it to be administered. That's why it's free. It's not free. Every single one, every single ounce of that shit is paid for with tax dollars. So we pay to develop it. We pay to deliver it. We pay to enforce it on ourselves. And we then turn to the Congress and we say it's their fault. No. No. The system was designed to be controlled. The Congress and the entire government is a giant series of guns. And the person that pulls the trigger is responsible, not the firearm. This is like our argument against gun control, right? You can't blame the gun. You got to blame the guy with the gun, right? Okay, you can't blame the gun that is government. You blame the people that actually pull the the control. So that's going to factor into a lot of what we're going to talk about today. In spite of that, I don't like getting ridiculously stupid about FUD and what the government's going to do and what's going to happen. I also know if we look at what has happened in the past, and, and Nicole Sauce is going to be joining us here in just a bit. I'm going to get through the bullet points when I see her in the waiting room, so that's cool. Anyway, um, you look at what government's done historically and what government does right now with the thing, and that's probably what they're going to do with the thing going forward if it's the same kind of thing. So I've been asked a lot about... The, the, the dangers and the hazards and the problems with the infrastructure bill as it relates to cryptocurrency. And part of it has been the broker thing. Who is and who isn't a broker? And I've been like poo-pooing that FUD like I'm not real worried about it. But I dug into it to see, can I find any other thing that's really concerning? And the only thing I was really able to find 
is the fact that what they're going to do is they're going to require crypto brokers to start behaving the way stock brokers – and when I say brokers, I don't mean the dude you call. I mean E-Trade. I mean TD Ameritrade. I mean Charles Schwab, right? They're going to start requiring Kraken or Coinbase or CoinX or whatever to start behaving like a stockbroker does in how they handle tax paperwork. Meaning, Jack goes on, you know, Coinbase and buys one Bitcoin for $60,000. Uh, and then two years later, Jack sells that Bitcoin for $120,000. The new regulations are going to require them to, at the end of a tax year, on my trades, issue me a thing called a 1099B. If you've traded stocks and mutual funds outside of your retirement accounts, this is not a new thing to you. This all started back during all the things to protect us with the Patriot Act and the Freedom Act and shit like that, right? Under the auspice of stopping terrorists, they changed certain definitions of financial relationships, including safe deposit boxes, etc. But what they said is, If you're on Charles Schwab and you own Ford stock and then you sell it a year later or six months later or whatever, at the end of a tax year, that Charles Schwab's supposed to send you this 1099B and it shows all your trades with a basis and a sell point and a profit or a loss. Okay, fine. Now, the problem is how many of you out there are holding Bitcoin that predates this thing that hasn't happened and won't happen until 2024? And how many of you are on no KYC exchanges? How many of you are cold storing your Bitcoin? How many have like amassed Bitcoin by selling little products and services and it's over here? And maybe it's, maybe it's Algorand. Maybe it's any other crypto. This applies to everything, not just Bitcoin. And someday you decide like in 2025, you know what? I need some cash. So I'm going to sell some Bitcoin or Ether or whatever. And it's like from like 2017 and it actually was pretty high back then. Um, And let's say it's double what it was when you paid for it. Well, the FUD is, if you're using Coinbase, CoinX, Kraken, Bitrix, whatever, they're going to issue a 1099B and say, Billy Bob Thornton sold, you know, $50,000 worth of Ethereum, right? Profit $50,000 to Billy Bob because there's no basis because we don't know what it is because unless you were doing business with that exchange and they're able to track back and determine what your basis is, they don't know. This is true. This is true. And you know what it means for your taxes? Nothing. Because that's happened for a long time and a lot of overlap with holding stocks and mutual funds in non-tax deferred accounts. And you know what happens? You get a 1099B from Charles Schwab or, in my case, E-Trade, and it says Jack Spirigo sold 10,000 shares of Ford stock or whatever. Basis NA. Basis asterisk. Basis, we don't know. It doesn't say zero It can't be a zero. And then what you do when you file your taxes, you put when you acquired it, how much you acquired it for, you declare your own basis. And eventually that moves to where there's not really a lot of overlap anymore and everything being filed has that basis provided by the broker. So it's not the big problem that it's being made out to me. And that's all I can find. That's all I can find. Moving on. Um, Staying with crypto for a second, I want you to understand why they want to regulate stable coins. So for those that are, you know, not really been paying attention and don't know what a stable coin is, a stable coin is a cryptocurrency that is backed one to one with a, a national currency of some kind. We think of that as being like tether being backed by the US dollar. So one tether is one dollar. Uh, or TUSD, true USD coin, 
But there's actually stable coins for other major currencies. And those other major currencies include things like the euro, the pound, etc., right? And what the federal government of the United States is saying, if you're going to play that game and you're going to have a dollar coin, you're going to have to be FDIC insured like a bank so that we don't have the, the you know, the tether fund has been going on forever. Are there really, you know, $500 billion backing 500 billion tethers? We don't know. We're not sure. Well, this is to protect you. Okay, the guy that comes into your house, points a machine gun at you, he's not worried about protecting you. No, it's to protect them. And what they really want is they want to control the on and off ramps of crypto and what they know is going to happen in time. If I'm, like I said, Nicole's waiting to come in. She's in the waiting room a bit early. Sorry, I'm leaving you. hanging. Nicole. We'll get you in here soon. She says, go on, go on. I'm working. Um, but let's say I want to buy coffee from Nicole and Nicole didn't like crypto. She doesn't like Bitcoin for whatever reason because she's crazy. And I say, how much is your coffee? She says, $16 a pound. I want two pounds. She says, okay, 32 bucks. In the very near future, there's going to be enough integration with like Square, Cash App, Strike, all this shit that I'll be able to pay her in USD coin or Tether or something like that. And she'll say, well, I'll take that because it's dollars. So I don't care. Or she'll say, you know what? If you pay me with this app, you can use whatever you want. And it'll convert to a stable coin on the end for me. And for us, all I concerned, I'm getting space credits in this form instead of, you know, this form. So they know that we'll end up with the stable coins being a de facto representation of the U.S. dollar, which they already are. And But if you if you FDIC them, then you can require all kinds of recording requir- requirements. And you could say, you know what, we don't really feel comfortable with, like, pricey coin. If you ever heard of pricey, and there's a couple other ones. These are stable coins that are privacy coins. So you can hold dollars, and they're private. Like pirate chain, but a dollar coin. They want to push those out. They're going to say to ensure compliance, you're going to have to be able to tell us every conversion, where it came from and where it went. And now you've got crypto here, conventional crypto, non-stable coins, all kinds of things that can happen in between, between individuals peer-to-peer. It's impossible to stop. But your on and your off ramps are effectively regulated. This is where Clown of the Week, Jack Dorsey, who got kicked out of Twitter, and let me tell you why he got kicked out of Twitter, because he's not doing his job at Twitter. Like, we can hate Jack Dorsey, we can like Jack Dorsey, it's up to you. I'm not a fan, uh, but I, I give a guy a fair shake on what he's doing right, what he's doing wrong. Well, Dorsey is all wrapped up in Square. That's where all his time, attention, and effort has gone for like two years now. So, Twitter stock's not exactly flying, it's more a fallen. And shareholders are pissed. And where's the guy in charge? The captain is screwing off on another ship. So he's got to go, so they kick him off. But what he's doing with Square is he's working to build a Bitcoin-backed DEX, or decentralized exchange, to create off-ramps and on-ramps between fiat and Bitcoin that are unregulated. Now, this is the game, right? So you got people like Dorsey, and he's not the only one trying to do this and remove counterparty risk so that you and I, I, I have... I have dollar coins of some kind, and you have bitcoins of some kind, and we want to exchange. He's building a DEX where that exchange is direct. Maybe the DEX takes a you know a 0.1% fee for doing it, but it doesn't really know who we are. 
And we don't have to know you. I can tell you who I am or I can not tell you who I am. And we can still make that swap. But if they regulate the stable coins, I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't know how that's going to happen at all unless you end up with some other form of a stable coin that's not currency backed. So if you end up with a, a, a coin that's backed by some basket of commodities, um, the problem is when you commoditize something, it's a race to the bottom. So I don't know what else you could do that with. Um, if you do it with silver or gold, it's been done, but not as a stable coin. Um, it kind of defeats the point and you still have volatility. The whole point of a stable coin is you have, you have stability. Like there might be 15% inflation, but a dollar's a dollar at the end of the year. So I think this is, uh, and D. Tombo says he thinks that Cardano might be a stable coin. You know, there used to be a joke about that. Um, the ticker symbol for Cardano is ADA. And until it kind of broke out, they, people would, even fans of it would say it's a, a dollar always, that that's what it is. And, um, uh, Algo was kind of really stable around like 80 cents to a dollar for a while too. And then they kind of broke out, which isn't a bad thing. Uh, but that's why they want to regulate stable coins is to regulate the on and off ramps, which still leaves a massive amount of the crypto economy for us to do with as we will. And I think that we have to start thinking different. I keep having people ask me, how do I buy Bitcoin privately? You're not going to. One guy wants to go to El Salvador to buy it privately. Uh, and I really didn't understand when he was asking me by uh, email. He was wanting to go to El Salvador to build a private Bitcoin wallet. I'm like, software is geographically agnostic. It doesn't care. I don't. I didn't really get it. But my opinion is Bitcoin and Ethereum specifically, you don't even want to hide it. Because we're going to have a banking system where we can collateralize it against loans and have lifetime income off it tax-free because there's no tax on debt. And we're going to have this continuous appreciating asset, specifically in Bitcoin, that will go on after I'm dead. I'm totally on board with that now. I'm I'm a student of Michael Saylor with that, I believe, in 100%. And then we might want other things like Monero or Pirate Chain or even some other alts that are in this other DEX world. We use these other technologies to get and hodl, and then we have that for exchange amongst ourselves. I think that's kind of where we need to go with this. Next up... Um, I have a band I just found, and I know I've heard some of their music before, but I didn't know who they were. Um, there was a song somebody posted on MeWe yesterday called Jesus, What Have We Become? And it's not really a religious song at all. It's about the COVID pandemic and what we've done to ourselves. And the video is heart-wrenching, but it should be seen. Uh, the band is called Five Times August, and I don't know how. Like, as soon as I saw it, I stripped it off MeWe, and I put it up on Odyssey, I saw, I found it on YouTube, but it was like on some little channel with like 18 views. And then when I tracked down the band, like they're on YouTube and they haven't had anything taken down. I don't understand it yet. Um, these guys are like on the top of some of the Apple music and Spotify charts and things like that. It's really music that hits you here. I'm going to feed, I, I said I wasn't going to do song of the days until like, I was going to bring that segment back at the end of the show until next year after the Christmas break. I'm going to feature four of their songs next week. Um, you, out of your mind, I think is what I'm going to do. I'm definitely going to uh, do the one. Jesus, what have we become? There's one called Silent War, and I'm going to try to pick a fourth one out of there. Um, but I will have uh, a link in the video or the audio notes for this podcast. You can go over to the site and you can check out their website. And I really like what they're doing. Uh, I am going to go back on crypto real quick here. So it's not going to be a whole crypto dominated episode or anything like that, but. 
I, I do want you guys to know this because I recommended back in like 2016, 2017, a cryptocurrency called ARC. And I know a shitload of people in this audience have ARC in your possession. There is a team working with ARC on a meme coin. Think Doge or Shiba or Inu or some of those, those stupid doggy coins, right? In fact, it's called BARK and the ticker symbol of B-A-R-K. You can't buy it yet. It's not on the exchanges. Technically, you can't eat. There's not even a wallet for it yet, but it can be held in the ARC wallet and it's kind of in the background and you have to know how to look to even see if you have it. They're going to build a plugin for the ARC wallet, which is where you stake your ARC. And when that plugin becomes available, all of a sudden you'll be able to send and receive Bark in the conventional crypto way. The reason I want you to know this, right? The reason I want you to know this is because if you have ARC and you have it staked with a delegate, you probably have a thousand barks already. So I'm not saying go buy this shit because you can't. I'm saying if you can get it for free, don't miss out and know that it's there. And I think that they're going to about to do another airdrop and they're going to drop 5,000 barks, right? And to be clear on this, it's a ridiculous number of barks that have been made. It's like 460 billion or something like that. If there's anything good to say about that, there's going to be zero inflation. What the hell? How can you do that, right? Well, they, they made them. They minted them all straight out of the gate. And almost everything's getting airdropped somewhere, and it'll get put into circulation and move around. Now, I'm sure that the developers behind it will airdrop plenty to themselves. Um, but also, if you go to their Discord and their Telegram, there's two separate faucets. And basically, it's it's uh, exclamation point faucet space in your ARC address. And every send seven days, you can get 10 more barks just, just by plugging that into the faucet on Telegram and Discord. And there's separate faucets. So you can get 10 from Discord and 10 from Telegram while they're doing it. So, yes, somebody says, Left Seat Adventures said, woohoo, my ARC had puppies. That's kind of what happened, right? So we're going to have puppies off the ARC. And I just want you to know about that. And I did a post yesterday, like an eight-point post of some thoughts I have on crypto. And I have a link in the notes here, and you can check that out. That's not going to be a regular thing. Maybe once a month I'll do that. Uh, but things I'm holding and what I think you should look into. Now, I want to make this, and I'm going to bring Nicole in while we do this, because I think she might have some things to add here. Um, how you doing, Nicole? Doing great. How are you? Uh, you're muted. Oh. You are muted. You're not oh. muted on, is your microphone muted? No. Nope, you're muted. When you figure it out, let me know. I'm going to roll on. So, um, I've been screaming, get out, get out, get out of the cities for like since COVID really started, right? And I uh, I keep telling you the window's closing. And the window is closing. And I want you to take that seriously, um, that we have an issue here. That if, And this is for the people that you feel I want out. Uh, Nicole, they say, well, <laughs> people are saying, they, you know what? It's my fault, guys. I have, yeah. She'll be back. I think it's my, it was my fault, Nicole. I had my speaker muted. <laughs> so they're like, they're in, they're in chat saying like, we can, we can hear it. Anyway, uh, let me, let, let me roll this out and I want your thoughts on it too. So I feel like the window to get out of the cities is starting to close. And I don't mean that somebody's going to put up a fence around it and machine guns and keep you from leaving. 
What I mean by that is the cost to get the hell out keeps going up. And more and more, especially in these bad cities you don't want to be in, the ability to sell your property and make some money and take it with you is going down. Like we have this inverse relationship going on right now. And I, I really am glad Nicole joined us today because I don't want to just talk about getting out. I want to talk about how to get out here a little bit at the end. And I want to also talk about not underestimating the number of people that buy into the bullshit. I don't know about you, Nicole. I keep seeing people on social media. We're winning. We're the real majority. 80% of people think like us. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, they don't. There's a lot of mass Karens out there and what have yeah. you. And, and so I think that you're going to see these cities move more and more toward totalitarianism, uh, more and more local government kind of throwing their weight around, imposing mandates. Like, you know, Biden's mandates have been like a skeet match for the courts, like <laughs> doubles are getting shot down. There goes the OSHA mandate. There goes the contractor mandate. There goes the military mandate, like left and right. But the local governments have a lot more ability to do this crap, right? And they have yeah, a lot yeah. more umbrella under the court where it's like, yeah, we really can't tell them what they can do with their local jurisdiction. So I think you need to get out. But I And you, you can't underestimate how many of your neighbors really think you should be locked down for the rest of your life. Like, Because I guarantee you there were people in Nazi Germany like, no, my neighbors would never turn me into the Nazis. And they're like, yeah, they're over here. Like that happened. And there's like a mass hysteria going on. And I think we need to make the move now. But I think that we also need to think about how. So, Nicole, I know you've heard a lot of this, too. We're all going to get a piece of land, man. And we're going to have a planned community. And we're all going to move there. And we're going to have libertarian town, right? You're still going to deal with the jurisdiction around you. So I love what you're doing, and I think maybe it can be expanded because you're fortunate that you have, like, affordable housing right around you in your little Nicole bubble, and you keep – somebody sells a house, you're bringing them in. It's difficult for me to do here because I have, like, the only house that's not a three-quarter million-dollar house, right, within two miles of my house. You just so need the rich libertarians to move to your neighborhood. Yeah, and they don't want to come. I don't know why. <laughs> you know, And, it's you know, the reason is because – most people that have means have settled into what they're looking for, right? So yeah. so you have people that are still trying to find what they're looking for. Generally, they don't have means where they would have already acquired it. But I don't think we need our communities to necessarily – I think it's nice. You know, our mutual friend Dave, if he can get the place next door, great. But there's only so much of that you can do. But even a, like a 10-mile radius makes coalescing as geese like we do on Unloose the Goose a lot easier geographically – And I think that what we need to do is have people start putting their hand up going, I think I'm in a good place to ride this shit out. Here's yeah. why, right? Here's all the good things about living in the unincorporated area for me of Tarrant County or for you through Middle Tennessee or Florida or any other place that's not fucking insane. And then we need people to be like, I'm willing to consider moving. Mm-hmm. And then we just basically need like real estate alerts out of the, 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 the spoke or the hub and the spokes saying, I will watch all of this and then just, you know, a simple text group text chat or something like that or telegram group. Hey, this just went up for sale. Hey, this just went up for sale just to start like bringing people in. And then I think we need to start the mentality when you go to a place, what are you bringing? Like knowledge and skills, like people need to start upping those skill sets, take up a trade or a craft, learn how to learn how to use a wood lathe and make some sort of, you know, 
valuable thing that you can like start building that local economy around. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I do think that having hubs where people do activities and events is really important. So like we do the GSD crew stuff and some of it is open to anybody who wants to come help build whatever. Some of it is more selective about who's going to be involved. But every time you see something like that, if you want to move to an area and there's a group of people who are also prioritizing freedom and opting out of the COVID madness, go to their things and participate and get to know them. Because what I see happening in the freedom cells and in our networks is some stranger comes in because they've seen us talk and they're excited and they're like, yes, I want to join a community and find land and buy it and move. And we don't know who they are. And so it's hard for us to say, well, do I want you next door or not? Because we can all share values and still be terrible, incompatible neighbors. And so I think the most important thing is develop those personal relationships. Go to areas where you're thinking of going, prioritize traveling, prioritize, you know, make your vacation somewhere you're thinking about going. Go check it out and find out if you like it. Because the worst thing you can do is buy land, move and be like, well, shit, I don't like the climate in, in Texas or Tennessee or New Hampshire. They're all very different. And they are. They they're are. all really good fits for different people. And then that alert idea is good. You know who's really well set up to set something like that up regionally is Jake. No, I was going to say Jake. We, he could, <laughs> we could totally no, set he's it up. He's done a great job with that, right? Yeah. I mean, he, he already does that in Tennessee because he's focused in Tennessee on land. And yeah. when he sees something that's good, he'll put it out to us first at one price, and then he'll list it at a higher price if nobody bites. But – He's, we should automate he's really that. focused on raw land, yeah, which is great if that's what you're looking for. But I think the tactics he uses would work on yeah. housing as well. I get calls at least like once a once a week on my cell phone. Yeah, Mr. Spearco, we'd like to talk to you about uh, the property on Nine Mile Bridge Road. What property? The one you have for sale? I don't have it for sale. Would you <laughs> like to have it for sale? And like they're trained telemarketers, they're doing Jake's system, except they're using telemarketers instead of mail. Yeah. So I, I know that's a thing. Um, I think another thing, though, you can do is it's one thing to move people in. That's great because I have a known quantity I'm moving in. But that requires lifestyle disruption. All If you look at like a 10-mile radius, even in a fairly loosely populated community, you have no idea how many people are in there that are like you. And we need to start thinking of like softball ways to, to coalesce community. And a long time ago, I did – a a podcast episode with Marjorie Wildcraft and one of her ideas, and I thought this was fantastic is, you know, run a screening of a permaculture documentary like urban permaculture by Jeff Lawton or something like that. Like, you know, rent or sometimes you get them for free, like community center or something like that. And then put out in your community, we're going to be running a viewing of this and give it like two weeks of lead up. So you can promote it and get people to come bring your own snacks type of thing. We're going to, we're going to watch this thing and discuss it. Right. Or I'm going to do a, like a small, like 45 minute workshop on hydroponics or something like that. And I know no, not everybody will have this, but I have like this big property and this huge garage and we just put a hundred inch drop screen with a projector. I'm like, I could totally do that for my neighborhood. And then you start finding the people that are already there. Yeah. Because I, I believe as much as you've done to bring people in, you, that's kind of how you started. You started making connections with the people that were right in your backyard. And it turns out if you're in a good place, there tends to be other people that are in the good place because they want to be in the good place, right? 
Yeah, I think I was here two or three years before I started selling surplus at the farmer's market. And our farmer's market's about this big. It's really, really yeah. tiny. But there I was with heirloom tomatoes, and there was another vendor who was doing a CSA with heirloom plants. And she was like, who's this chick who grows heirloom tomatoes? Nobody even knows what they are here. And through <laughs> that connection, I met a bunch of people here who, who prioritize permaculture. Some of them are more freedom-oriented. Some of them are less freedom-oriented. Yeah. But that really did open up locally. I think that's... Yeah, browns and purples. Yeah, and that's <laughs> the thing. is If you only get out to TSP or LFTN or GSD or Freedom Cell events ever you're missing a whole set of society that exists. If you get out and go to that painting class in your community and go to the winemaking class or whatever it is that has your interest, you'll start finding there are more people like you than you think. Yeah, and there's little things you can do, right? Like when you're saying winemaking class, I'm like, I could totally run how to make mead workshop here. It would take two hours. Just two hours, yeah. just local community. And anybody that comes to that, it's going to be at least worth having a conversation with. And I think you have to look at it like a mixer at like a chamber of commerce. Like you go there, you talk to a lot of people, you form a couple relationships. And yeah. those couple relationships are worth the trip to the meeting if they lead somewhere else. Right. Um, let's take some stuff from the audience here. Uh, Jason says, is Freedom Cells where to start to meet everyone? Yes, but you see what I'm saying? Like that, that answer is a yes, but it's just one place. right? Yeah, it's just one. Yeah, I'm but speaking at a Freedom Cell event in January in Chattanooga with a Freedom Cell I've never come across in Tennessee. I keep finding new ones. So that's a great avenue. But there is also in the Freedom Cells, you're going to have lots of talkers and some doers. And so it's a good sort of like general purpose mixer. And yeah. then you figure out who who you're going to do something with and go from there. Uh, but Man, your community has something going on somewhere that's completely yeah. separate from all of us. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's good. Like, we have someone here, uh, Pack Raft. I can't read it. Um, we need a freedom edition of Next Door minus the negatives. I don't think we do, other than I have been censored on Next Door for publishing, like, the Texas official state statistics about COVIDs, right? That's, like, the only bad thing that's ever happened to me on uh, Next Door. I'm actually a lead for my neighborhood because I started it and I have people mad at me because I don't censor. Like, so there are the Karens on next door, but you know, there's the vast majority of people like in my neighborhood and surrounding communities never post a comment. All they do is consume yeah. and then they'll reach out. Like I've posted some things and all people reach out with PM. Hey, I'm interested in that. Right. So I think you want the broad shotgun and I don't think you're going to have a problem on next door saying, hey, I'm going to be running a class two weeks from now on how to make mead. You need to bring three pounds of honey. I provide everything else for 10 bucks and I put snacks out like that's not going to be a problem. And the filter is who shows up. Right. Or I'm running a screening of, you know, uh, you know, backyard poultry or something like that. If you've always wanted to learn, we're going to do a screening and a discussion like to me. Those are the things that bring in the people that have the interest in the common ideal and i've always said to lead with relationships versus the agenda yeah i just saw somebody say when there's a oh it's tim hi tool man tim um when there's a local emergency facebook and next door are the best place to quickly get info that's also a really great way that you if you are involved in helping with a local community emergency you're going to find people so if it's you know driving generators around to people to, to get their stuff frozen or whatever it is, that's what we do here. We end up meeting people we haven't met, 
And some of them turn out to be really good friends. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess here's another person. Uh, Charles says, uh, should we relocate to El Salvador, AKA Bitcoin beach? I don't know. Do you want to live in El Salvador? I mean, I'll, I'll tell you what I would do if I was considering El Salvador, I'd first find a way to get some paperwork that says I'm allowed to travel internationally in the air without actually doing the thing you're supposed to get to do that, if it's possible, because that's my big thing with international travel right now. I'm not doing it because I'm not doing the thing, right? Um, but if you wanted to go and you're willing to do the thing or you've already been coerced into doing the thing and you have a passport, I would take like a three or four week trip to El Salvador and I wouldn't just go to the little bitty spot on the beach where the armed guys keep all the bad guys out. I'd travel around and I'd get to know El Salvador. I'd hire a professional guide to make sure because people say, well, there's dangerous places. There's dangerous places in Chicago. The problem is when you go to a foreign country, you don't have the same awareness. Like we kind of know in America what we're looking at. And like you start walking down a street and go, nope, wrong street. Like you may not having traveled a lot in Central America myself, you may not recognize that because a lot of places that look like that in Central America, totally fine. There's different Things that clue you in, but I would go spend time there. Um, yeah, you can, you, you can, you can trade Bitcoin. It's legal tender. You don't have to pay taxes on it, but do you know what the actual tax burden is going to be of living in El Salvador? Right. You know what? I don't, but I know it's not free. So I would make sure you know all of those things before you make a snap decision. Now I think I'm, I'm very interested in the program they have. So they have a program. If you spend three Bitcoins, which if you just had money and you didn't want to spend the Bitcoin you had, you could convert those to Bitcoins and spend them as Bitcoins. You get immediate status as a El Salvador national. And after three years, it becomes permanent. And then you have wow. dual passport and you can do business in El Salvador and citizen. And like, that's really interesting. And people are like, well, that's a lot of money. Well, what if you took 150 grand and bought a house in El Salvador with Bitcoin while Bitcoin's at 50 grand. And then you turned around and, and mortgaged the house the way you would have preferred to and pulled the equity back out. You still put the three Bitcoins in as far as uh, the El Salvadoran government is you're still in the program. So it doesn't have to be like you drop all your Bitcoin savings. I find that very interesting, but you know, I've lived in Panama. I've lived in Honduras and I've spent a lot of time in Costa Rica and there's some wonderful things about all three places. But I don't live there, and there's a reason. So I think you have to, like, when you think about stuff like that, you have to think ahead. I very seriously considered immigrating to Germany in the 90s and early 2000s, and and I had spent a lot of time there, and I went over with purpose to say, okay, can I live here? And there were some cultural things that I just decided weren't going to be a good fit for me. And so I decided not to immigrate there. I am really glad I'm not there right now. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I don't, what is the, what are the COVID restrictions in El Salvador? Like I, I have no idea. I have no idea. My, my gut is maybe in like San Salvador or whatever, maybe there's something, but I'm, I'm kind of back rural El Salvador. Like just when I think back to like living in like one of the most remote regions of Honduras for six months, I don't know how you would do it. Like it's, it's not doable, right? It's like trying to get your arms around a water balloon that has holes in it. Like all you're going to do, it, it's full of piss. That's all that's going to happen to you. Um, even like if the El Salvadoran military or the Honduran military went out into those places, they would, they'd have accidents. I'm, I'm going to tell you, I've seen it. They would have accidents. Like 
you know, maybe they would just go off the narrow road by accident or something like that's not going to happen, but you're probably not going to live in those places. Like, especially if you look like me, if you've got blonde hair and blue <laughs> eyes, I don't recommend a rural place without first having established relationships because you're a target to everybody in those places. So be careful with that. Tim's on now. Well, that's Tim Toolman Cook. Hey, Tim. How are you? I'm good, bro. Hey, I want you to, because, you, you know, I, I just thought when you came in, <laughs> be a real interesting perspective, because we're talking about strategic relocation here. It's kind of where we ended up. And you, to me, have one of the best businesses for that on the planet in that you are a handyman. And I don't, in my opinion, I don't think you can go somewhere where that's not a valid business. Like, it's probably better in some than others, but unless you're in the most rural, like, if you're in, if you're in the West Texas desert, everybody's a handyman, right? But outside of, and there's only like one person per square mile, right? But outside of that, I think that like any reasonable settlement, like if you can develop basic skills of a handyman, you can go in there. And if you're honest and you have integrity and you work, and that could be an escape route for many people, I think. Man, I've been talking about it all the time lately. Entrepreneurship period is the key to get through this with freedom, you know, but handyman number one is, oh man, it's, yeah. And, and yeah, it's transferable anywhere. Like we, we talk about it, you know, we don't, we still have the freedom in Canada to move around, but individual provinces don't vary that much. Unlike, you know, you guys with individual states. So there's not as much of a benefit from going to one place to another. You know, I'm, I'm in the closest thing to Texas and Canada and Alberta, and that ain't saying a whole hell of a lot, but yeah, I mean, it, we, we've talked about it before, you know, our kids are settled here now, but between the content creation and the handyman business, those are two businesses that aren't really geographically centered and you can, you can haul up roots and take off and, and go start making money somewhere else pretty darn quick. I definitely would say you can haul ass and set up pretty darn quick. We had a guy do some work for me here because my handyman went away. He was great. And I, after one conversation with him, my wife's like, we found a guy. I'm like, no, we didn't. She's like, why not? I said, he's going to leave. He was a traveler. He was yep. looking for a place to call home. And he, he basically showed up here with a backpack on his back and he had a buddy he slept on his couch. And in three weeks he was, he was making money yeah. because he was good at what he did. But when he started asking me, he's like, well, where'd, where'd you guys live before this? I'm like, Hot Springs, Arkansas. Well, what's that? Like, we've been thinking about that. And I'm like, hey, he's going to leave. Mm-hmm. But that does show that, like, he was as flexible with where he set up shop to work as an Uber driver would be, right? And then that, that's another option, too. I think there's a lot of ways out. But I think that some sort of side hustle, some sort of self-employment, some sort of something like that is really necessary. By the way, uh, scrambling. Uh, Brian from, uh, Washington is saying he's serious. If anybody wants to do the El Salvador thing with a coffee farm eco village to pay the bills, if anybody wants to invest, I'll build it. So. And he can. Out there with, with oh, money yeah. and you want to do something, make it happen, man. He probably won't fail. I'll say one thing about Brian. He, he tends to accomplish the things he, no matter how crazy it sounds either or anything like, I'm going to create a new festival based on Sasquatches and then like, <laughs> You know, a year later, there's like thousands of people hanging out uh, with Brian. Like, it's cool. Well, and he has the contacts in the coffee world. So yeah, he's set well for that. Yeah. Well, he messaged me. I, I can't even remember. I want to say six months ago or something. He's like, can I run some of your content on my radio station when I get it up and running? And I'm like, sure, whatever. You don't hear oh, anything right. more about it. And then all of a sudden, he's got a friggin' studio set up. And you're like, yeah, you, you do what you say. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so... um, 
Yeah, Tim, you are in Western Canada. I yeah. think you are as close to like what you could be if you were down here in Texas as, as possible. Um, back when I was a corporate drone and I worked for Fluke, I had Eastern Canada and uh, one of the other regionals had Western Canada. And he was like, you have, he was mocking me. He's like, you have France. I'm like, what? He goes, you have France. But they all speak French and they hate you. I'm like, yeah, they kind of do. And I'm like, well, what do you have? He goes, I have America Junior. <laughs> yeah. the, the guys on Zello call it Northern North Dakota. Northern North Dakota, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's true. Absolutely. Well, we also call, call North Dakota Canada. So well, there's that. There's this, yeah, I wish it were that easy to just kind of slide across the border, you know, but yeah, I believe it. You know what, uh, do you know what we call the uh, Red River in Texas when you cross over to Oklahoma? That's the Mason-Dixon line. That's where the Yankees are on the other side of the Red River, you know. That kind of geographic joke stuff comes over. My granddaughter's here. Oh. Hey, Pooh. All right. So, um does anybody else in the audience have anything you guys want us to address? All caps in the comments would be uh, the way to make sure that we know that's for us. I'm going to scroll back and see if we missed anything. Tons of activity. 142 people in the feed, but we don't have a lot of all caps going on. Problem, how Nextdoor creates rural areas. Your address, XXS, isn't within the borders of the Nextdoor neighborhood. We could use some farm-sized statistical areas. So Yeah, we have that here. So you're too rural to fit, right? I guess well, I'm. You got to get eight people within like a mile or something, I and hate. that's harder to do if you only have ten. Yeah, yeah, and it, yeah, and that's kind of what happened here. That's how I ended up a lead for the neighborhood, and I just told everyone, "Get on this. It's cool. We'll all know each other." And and the cool thing is, once you get your neighborhood, you're kind of federated with the other neighborhoods around you, and you get that larger reach. But you know. Um, that's an opportunity. I think that that's another thing we have to start seeing is like every single problem is an opportunity to, to, to build something to compete with it. Um, we ship our rascals. I don't know if that's the little scooters or what to California where they get tens of thousands of your taxpayer dollars and benefits. So life is better and safer here. Now Salvador did the same. I don't really get that one. You know what he's talking about in the caller, Tim? Do they mean like, Rascals, as in, you know, oh. uh, people politically that you're not aligned Pity with. People. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> They're exporting. When they say rascals, they mean they mean yuppies. Mm-hmm. Right? That's what Modern thinking. yuppies. Um, okay, that makes sense. Um, with the petitions being signed now, how likely is Texas? I, I think that Texas leaving the United States is more likely now than it's ever been at any time in history since the Civil War. However, I think it's still very unlikely. I think it's more likely, but still unlikely, if that makes sense. There is a undercurrent that when you talk to people here, you start to feel it more and more. And you do hear people saying things like this now that are not the person. I'm like the soccer moms and stuff, like getting pissed and going, we just need to get the hell out of this thing. And you're like, wow, like, you know, it. they say it takes of like that 3% number. You know, during the American Revolution, 3%, not to be in line with an idea, but really committed to an idea, mm-hmm. to push it over is all it takes is 3%. I think that 3% is here, but it's very non-coalesced. It's spread out, and it's not talking to each other. I don't know how easy it would be to do. Um, someone's asking me if separation may occur. Jack, are you going to any meetups in Fort Worth anytime soon? Not really, not this time of year. 
I'm I'm hunkered down this time of year. This is uh, this is my wind down to the end of the year. But I'm looking to do some stuff this spring. Um, I uh, I actually have a winery not far from here. We're thinking about doing some sort of like a regional one day event at that would be really cool with some live music and stuff. And you know that's another thing. Like you can do these things to get people together. Now, in my case, it'll be like a TSP fest. But you can do something like that in your local community. You still lead with the relationship. It doesn't matter why you're bringing people together. Um, I don't know what those ones are. Jake, what a surprise. Jake has a question. Would you <laughs> say your idea of a virtual nation had evolved? If so, how? Uh, that's long because there's people here that don't know what my idea is, Jake. Um, but my concept is that we can be digital tribes and we can conduct business as nations in a virtual way. It really hadn't evolved. It's It's just... You know, we have more technology to do it with now. It's, I think we already have it. I think right now we're, we're conducting kind of a state of affairs of the, of the union of the virtual nations that are the alliance between Tim the Tool Man Cook, Nicole Sauce and Jack Spirico's enterprises. That's what we're doing right here. And I think that's a natural coalescence. Now I think more formality to it in time may be quite useful and, you know, I don't know that any of us will ever be big enough that we're like a Joe Rogan or something. Um, you know, maybe I'm 5% of a Joe Rogan, but 20 Mies is a Joe Rogan. And 20 Mies has more diversity and more reach than a single Joe Rogan, right? And so if we can put together thought leaders, 30, 40 thought leaders in a federation, uh, then what happens is the reason the virtual nation has power is because it has money. Right. It has wealth. And if you're a corporation or a country or a regional component or something like that, are you interested in the money that a collective 40 million people have? I I think that you would be right. That's like that's that's a larger market than the entire state of California or Texas. Right. I think Texas has 29 million people. So if you have a virtual nation with 40 million people in it. That are like, we do business with people that do business these ways. Somebody's going to be like, you know what? We do business that way because you're talking about having a market the size of the largest states in the country. Like, I mean, that's, that's power. And I think that's kind of the power that I'd like to see. Um, digital Spearco stand. I like it. Yeah. I, I still want, you know, Jackistan and it, the, the, the also known as name of Jackistan, the place is fuck off a stand. I, I would love to have that someday, but I, you know, I, I talk about that. I don't know how realistic it is. Um, I can't think of the guy's name. The guy that was part of PayPal, but with Peter Thiel, Peter Thiel, yeah, Peter Thiel, right? He wanted to do seasteading. Yeah, he's like floating cities. Yep. And I don't know if that can ever work because well, saltwater breaks shit, right? Really breaks shit bad, right? But the reason yes, he is. wanted to do it, he said, land is a sucker's game. Any land you have anywhere lies in the jurisdiction of some larger body of land that can tell you what to do. And even if they make a deal with you, like some of these free zones that are being talked about in Central America, like Nicaragua, El Salvador, Honduras are talking about these free zones. Great idea, but you know what happens. Then you go Galt, you bring all the productive libertarians there, you start building shit, you start making money, companies come in, set up manufacturing, you start employing locals, you start building this great thing, and then it becomes this shining jewel in the middle of a country that can't pay its bills, and what do you think is going to happen? Do you think they're just going to leave it sit there like that? Where I think if we go decentralized with these communities, so maybe we have these pockets like Nicole's Holler or or Jack's you know rock rock 
rock farms, right? Uh, or, or Tim in Western uh, America Jr. Um, but then they federate loosely. That's much harder for a state to control or to seize the wealth of or what have you. Now, one thing we have to be careful of, they have a really common practice, don't they, of like <clears throat> us and them and just mm-hmm. coming up with a name for you. And then saying it's 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 the purse's fault or it's the homesteader's fault or something like that. Yep. I mean that's so you you have to be careful with I guess when you decentralize how much of a uh, like the unvaccinated are causing yeah, all the problems right now. Yeah. Is that not a stupid state uh, word? Yeah. Isn't it impossible to be unvaccinated? Right. You, you can be not vaccinated, or yeah. you can be vaccinated. You can't be unvaccinated. That's not a right. thing. Right. To be right. unvaccinated would be take Nicole, we hold her down, we shoot her up with Moderna, and then somebody goes, ah, she didn't want it, and then they take a, a syringe and they go in and suck it back out. That would be unvaccinated, right? There's no such thing as unvaccinated. It's not a thing. They've created a, a name that sounds like a scourge. Yeah. Right? That sounds I'd like, like to compare their numbers to the flu numbers, flu shot number successes, because as I look at the statistics, they're very close. The flu shot is also yeah. not terribly effective. But you know what? The one thing I can say about the flu shot, when they get it right for the clave, does yeah. seem effective in preventing infection and spread. They just tend to not get the clave right, right? So there's mutations every year. And so people that don't know, listening, they guess every year. What's going to be the clave? H1N2, H5N3, whatever. And then they build the vaccine for that year around that clave. And the flu vaccine being a traditional vaccine where they, they use the dead virus for your body to make antibodies for it and recognize it seems to be somewhat effective for the clave. The COVID thing seems to be completely ineffectual at preventing infection or spread. It seems to be. So go ahead and take my video down YouTube. It's on other services of <laughs> shit. You know, it's already happened. Um, but yeah, it, it seems to be completely ineffective. It seems to be, it's a treatment, a pre-treatment that may or may not lessen your symptoms. And to me, that's a big problem in of itself. Like, I just don't understand how we've gotten into a world where people think that that's like what I just said is a conspiracy theory. Because if you actually read through the headlines, it's what the CDC says. It's what the WHO says. It's what freaking Tony Fauci says when they actually are honest for that moment. You know, maybe they have a, a transient ischemic stroke and they accidentally speak the truth. Like, that's what they're telling us. You know, I think I, I was talking actually to a nurse the other day and the mindset just blows me away. But I think we're like one step away from a, a bad flu variant of having, at least up here in Canada, um, mandated flu vaccines as well. And that, I, you know what? I am all for free choice. <laughs> We've always been one to get the flu vaccine for the or the flu shot for the most part. But I am not. Well, obviously, <laughs> not in favor yeah. of it being forced. Right. And I really do think we up here especially are like one bad flu virus away from, oh, well, you know what we did last time, so here you go, do it again. Here's what I think is going to happen, and I said this before there was a COVID vaccine. It takes three years under our regulations here in the United States, and pretty much everybody follows us, where you can have a vaccine out in the, in, in the wild being used under approval to where you can legitimately put it with another vaccine. And I think what they're going to do oh, is yeah. they're going to combine the flu vaccine with the COVID vaccine as soon as they legally can under their own rules. 
And then if you want a flu vaccine, mm-hmm. you're going to have to get, which it brings up its own problem because now you're having to like it two or three a year and the flu shot's not supposed to work that way. But you know what you could do? You could combine them and say, when you need your flu shot, it comes with the COVID vaccine. But if you need the COVID only, you can get that separate. Mm-hmm. Watch that happen. It'll be you the know? season of shot. Yep. But, I mean, Did you see that the American Heart Association came out with like some research on increase in, in likelihood of having a, a heart attack in the next five years? And Twitter is now uh, censoring access censoring to their website. Yeah. Yeah. From the from the CDC. Right. Or from the cardiologist or whatever. Yeah. I think one thing people don't know, and this is really scary as shit. Right. We're having all these these young people and like professional athletes like because people don't realize like soccer is the sport of the world because we live in America and we don't understand the rest of that. There's a <laughs> lot more soccer players out there than there are football players or basketball players. So it's a large sample size. These guys keep collapsing on the middle of soccer fields and their, their, their symptom ends up being, or their condition ends up being myocarditis. Now I started doing some research into this because it seems like, well, they have this enlargement of the heart and they have this problem. And then eventually the inflation in the heart, the inflammation in the heart goes down. And then the problem is the heart can't heal. Like if I hurt my bicep or Nicole hurts her, you know, her calf or, Tim hurts his abdominal muscle in some way and pulls it. What do we do? Well, we go with rice. And the first part of rice is rest, right? Rest, ice, compression, elevation. I guess you can't elevate your abdomen, but that's what you do. But the big thing is you rest. You stop using the damaged muscle. You know what happens when you stop using your heart? We've all seen the TV shows about medicine that are fake. But the one thing that's real is when it goes, you're dead. Mm -hmm. So the heart can't heal. So I was like, well, once a person has myocarditis, What's the five-year survival rate? It's like 75%, meaning 25% of those people, by the numbers, now, how severe was it, whatever, we don't really know because we can't talk about it, but one in four of those people probably are dead within five years that have already experienced that side effect. That's scary shit, and we're not allowed to talk about it. I guess this is going to be strike two on Jack's channel. Okay. Oh, you only have one strike? Wow. They took one away for some reason. I'm not sure why. I had <laughs> two. You. You now I'm all brave again because I got two more before I'm gone. <laughs> they go away, I think. If I remember, Reeve, you don't get if you don't get a second one in a certain period of time, they, yeah. they kind of just, you know, they, they, yeah, they give you permission to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was really surprised when I mentioned that. I don't know if you were listening, Tim, when we were talking about five times August. Uh, this band that has these, this music out about all this stuff. They're like huge on YouTube. They haven't had anything taken down. And it's, I, I think we're finally starting to see some places where maybe even the Gestapo of, you know, the Gulag and Facebook and Shitter and all that are like, can't really censor musicians. Mm-hmm. And like that, that's not going to go well with the hip in crowd that we're trying to appease. Like, they don't really want musicians censored. They want to just musicians like trashed or whatever, but they don't want them censored. So maybe that's starting to come through. Um, fill out the not, guest form, Bonnie. Yeah, fill out Get the guest form. Get them to fill out the guest form. Yeah, it, it, I, I didn't see it, but I already know what it is. Anybody <laughs> that wants to be on the Survival Podcast needs to fill out the guest form. Now, if you go to the Survival Podcast today and you click on guests, you're going to see a blank page that says no. <laughs> <laughs> because we're booked through the year. Uh, but I'm going to actually probably this weekend open the guest form back up and we're going to start booking people in January. 
Uh, so if you want to be on the show, we do one interview a week. Fill out the form. Let's, Nicole, if, if the, the reincarnated ghost of Thomas Jefferson sent me an email and said, I'd like to be on Survival Podcast, what would he receive back in the email? A link to the guest form. You would probably answer that email and you'd say, fill out the guest form link. Fill out the guest form, right? Like, people you might even give like, him a, a secret backdoor link. I don't even know. Yeah. Like, I might do that, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I've done some secret backdoor links for some yeah. people. We know that. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but you still fill out the form, right? Like, people ask me when I had Ron Paul on, did Ron Paul fill out the form? I'm like, well, how do you mean that? Somebody did. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like Ron Paul's at the level of fill out a form for me and then somebody does that. But yeah, I made Ron Paul's people fill out the guest form because it's a procedure. It, it means awesome. we don't screw. Um, oh, Bonnie says five times August has had sad little man censored. I did send his wife Kelly the application for the form link. Oh, Bonnie, if you send it to five times August, that's great. Because I was going to reach out to them. I would, if, if that's what you're saying, I'd love to have them on. Yeah, I, just need I think to it'd be a very interesting them. discussion. Sad little band is about Tony Fauci, right? It's, uh, it's, it's not my favorite one for the sound, but it's kind of my favorite one for the words. Uh, I like that, that one, you're out of your mind. I don't know if you've seen anything they've done, Nicole, but the one you're out of your mind kid is great. It's, it's all the people like wigging out on social media, specifically TikTok. Uh, all these young people losing their minds because they want more masking and stuff. And it's just, nobody's listening to you. No one cares what you have to say, you know? Uh, anyway, uh, we kind of got into the weeds with the COVID and some relocation. Do either of you have anything you'd want to chat with the audience about before we wrap up? We're at like an hour 10 almost here. Something I come up with the other day, we had a, an unexpected power outage. I figured I'd share this anyway. And of course I was like eight, eight minutes later, I had my generator up and running, which was cool, but it was early in the morning. It was dark. I had to go and clear snow anyway. So I took a run around town and you know what? The first thing you can notice is who has power and what places have power. So like the, the local telecom place had power. The water tower had power the medical center, the hospital. So it's just one of those things to put in the back of your brain. If you're ever, you know, up early and your power's out, take a run around and you might see like, oh, okay, I know what facilities are still running. I know where in a worst case scenario I can go to get warm or have a damn cup of coffee, right? It was just something little, but I enjoyed it. I think scouting who has power when everybody doesn't is a really, really good idea. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, if your power goes out, I think, building on that, make the most of it. Right. So like I remember the one time Dorothy and I were at our, it was at our, at, our, at the time it was our bug out location up in Arkansas. We were there during the winter and we had a major power outage. So we fired up the reserve heat and all. And then we sat there and listened to AM radio. I think we listened to coast to coast AM <laughs> and we made a list of like, okay, if this was going to last for two weeks, what are we weak on? And we used that time and we sat there bullshitting and had a great time and drank some wine and made a list of all the things that maybe were holes in our preps. So I think there's a lot of, opportunity and, and things like that. Um, Nicole or Tim, I'm thinking Nicole more than me. Mark has a question. I've gotten this question, I think, from him by email. I don't really have an answer for it. Uh, he said the eggs from his backyard chickens often have runny whites. What can cause this? I've never experienced that, Nicole. I don't know, but I would be looking at their nutrition. Yeah. But yeah what are they eating? You know, like sometimes I get eggs that have the soft shells or I have funky eggs, and it's usually a stressed out bird that's sick. Or, or they're, you know, they've transitioned from bug season to feed season, which is where we are now. 
the quality of eggs go down when bug season is over. So how many bugs are they getting in addition? What are you feeding them? But other than that, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I guess the other thing would be, are you using them uber fresh? Which is fine, but that would be one way to um, to mitigate that because we've all experienced that when you first get chickens and you start keeping chickens and you start getting eggs and you get your like your first week of eggs, you're like, shit, I got more eggs than I know what to do. With. I'll boil them and they don't peel worth a damn when they're fresh. And if you let them sit for like three weeks in yeah. the fridge or what or on the shelf if you don't wash them. Um, then you boil them and they peel. Well, what happens is it's kind of like when you age whiskey in the cask and you, you look and you had 50 gallons of whiskey. And when you, you know, eight years later, you have like 40 gallons of whiskey and they call it the angel's share. It's the part that goes away. Well, that happens in eggs. So that might be one way is not to use them as fresh. And you're going to have some evaporation through the, the shell. If you do that, that's a normal thing. That's, that's why they peel better. If you take an older egg and you peel it, you'll notice it's like a, a, a hole in the bottom where the, the egg doesn't quite fill the shell out anymore. And then that membrane, but I, I would look at their nutrition too. I just don't know. I mean, I've literally, and I'm, I'm pretty sure this person asking is the same person that emailed me, never heard it from anybody. If anybody in the audience out there on the live stream has heard of that, let us know. Um, here's one for you, Tim. Ben <laughs> says stuff on how to grow a handyman skill set for a beginner. Well, I think they should get on over to your 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 site and your your channel and subscribe. That would be step one, right? That's what I, he took it right over. Yeah, but I, I actually, it's kind of cool. But every Thursday right now, I've been running a series called Repairedness, and it's all about what to stock for you know, and not even like shit hit the fan situation, but just like worst case, go, we're going through all the systems of the home and uh, one at a time, and like what materials to have, what skills to have, what practice to do, you know, that kind of stuff. But Start small. And I try to tell everybody it's, it, it feels intimidating before you start, but get some small wins under your belt. And almost every, like I did one on sewer last night. And I mean, almost everything that you can repair with, you know, drainage and stuff you can do with a pipe wrench, a hacksaw and an adjustable wrench, you know, and that's about it. But take your time, research ahead of time, watch some videos and then jump right in. You're going to screw up. But that's okay. And just get a few wins under your belt. And then if it's a bigger project, I always say break it up into smaller pieces. So learn this skill, do that. Learn this skill, do that. And and go from there. And then once you're comfortable enough, if, if you're talking about going into business, then start, you know, the, the things that you've mastered, then start doing them for other people. But, yeah, that's where I started. Yeah, and start with things you can't really mess up. Like you, some of the stuff you've talked about doing, like literally anybody can do, mm-hmm. like hauling crash away. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think you can screw that up. Like if, if I don't even care if you do screw it up as long as I don't know about it, right? Like if if I pay you to come take like this busted ass old refrigerator and this busted ass old tractor away, and I have no way to get rid of it, and a you know toolman Tim truck shows up. And you and some other goon whipped that thing in the back of the truck like the guy did with the track. I couldn't believe it. two guys picked up a freaking old lawn track and threw it in the freaking oh truck. Um, they were some big boys. But I don't care where it goes. Not my problem, right? Like as long <laughs> as you fill up on time, charge me what you said, and the thing goes away. And you'd say, well, why do that? Well, customer base, right? Mm-hmm. So anything that gets me first contact with the potential customer and then I want your name, I want your email, and I want your phone number. And like when you add a service like gutter cleaning, you know, you group 
freaking just low tech, man. You got 20 people. Throw one group text out there with blinds so that everybody needs everybody else's shit, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm going to be in the area cleaning gutters, you know, next Tuesday. Yeah. Let me know. And, like, start building out your services that way. And then I guess your other thing is, like, if you have some friends around that need some shit done once in a while and it's something you need to learn how to do, go do it for free. You pay me. Oh, yeah. Give me the money for the materials. And I'll do it for you, and then you can add that to your kind of your CV, right? Yep. Hey, I saw a question earlier about how many coffee bushes to grow because coffee prices are going to the moon. And I do want to talk about that because there's a lot of articles about 33% increase in coffee and blah, blah, blah. And I'd love to scramble in comments on this, too. Every time I see those articles, I reach out to my contacts in the coffee industry and say, what does that really mean? And the answer is about a dollar per pound increase. So the amount of, unless you live somewhere where coffee will grow, the amount of resource you're putting into growing coffee bushes, if you're having to greenhouse them and all of those other things and the quality of product you're going to get in that is probably not worth the input if you're talking about a dollar or two increase per pound. But the articles make it sound like you're going to go from $20 a pound coffee to $50 a pound coffee. And right now I'm not seeing it. Like the, the biggest pressure we have are sh- is shipping prices, which everybody has on everything. Yeah, yeah, and that's going to be continue to be, and that's probably the underlying reason for the increase you are experiencing. You got to yeah. get the beans from you know Nicaragua or Somalia or whatever to the United States, and how many to- how many ships and planes and and trucks does that go on before it gets to the hauler, right? Yeah. And there's a, there's a, it's like a value added tax except it's a fuel expense, right? It, it hits every layer. Instead of final point of sale, there's a tax. It's like a tax, a tax, a tax, a tax, and, and then the underlying inflation on top of it. But I, I'm also seeing a lot of FUD with supply in general, and I'm seeing a lot of real. Yeah. And real is mostly like tons of it in the construction industry. Like our, our friend Mark, who's always at the workshops here, um, he does engineering and design and development uh, planning for a construction company and they have certain materials that they can't like right now, if they order them, they're, they're slated to get them in June or July and they have across the board price increases that hit in January. So if you order it now, you don't get it till July, but across the board price increases in January on, on everything. So I, that goes back to earlier when I was talking about, I think the window to move is closing like part of that is, you know, raw land. Jake does raw land. That's great, except, gee, the lumber to build that small home is more expensive than it's ever been at the same time. Buy so, a lumber mill. <laughs> yeah, I think more and more people are going to have to look to buying timbered land that has harvestable timber or buying a place that already has a structure, right? And then, you know, fixing that up because the material costs, and I don't see this being fixed for another year or two years. I really don't. And And when I say fixed... I mean, it stops running away and coming back and running away and coming back. But what's happening right now, and I'm seeing with prices, is price goes way up, then the price crashes. But it doesn't crash to where it was, yeah. right? And then it goes up, and it comes down again. And that, that bottom is rising because inflate, inflation is showing you the bottom, and the short-term hits are showing you the tops. And like a, it's like an ascending candle in a technical analysis on a stock or a cryptocurrency. Yeah. Uh, that's what you're seeing. And so – yeah, man, if you if you want to get out of where you are, I really recommend, you know, and then uh, K-Bonk is saying portable mills are far, hard to find yep. now. Well, and I'm sure building new ones like 
all those pieces and parts. Like we have not learned the lesson of why it's important to manufacture in America. Like people say it's so we have American jobs and whatever. You know, we have plenty of jobs with manufacturing in China. There's all kinds of jobs you can have if your manufacturing base is somewhere else. What you don't have is autonomy when shit hits the fan, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, our country has so much land and so many resources. It's criminal that we're not building, making, manufacturing in the United States. Um, and if we ever end up going to war, it's a problem. Yeah. I mean, a real war, not like we're bombing the shit. We're going to bomb them to the Stone Age. They live in the Stone Age. Like, if we go to war with a country that has a real air force, yeah. right, instead of a bunch of guys running around hiding in caves, right, and then if China doesn't like it and says, you know what, no penicillin for you. We're like, right now, at least 18 months before we're manufacturing the raw materials for, for antibiotics in this country. And then that one little piece that goes in the sawmill, where's that come from? You know, I mean... Everything's like that now. So I get what you, without being stupid about it, get what you need while you can get it. And yeah. then do you need, Nicole, if, if you decided to expand your empire and you bought like 50 acres around there and you're going to subdivide it in a 10 lots and you're going to use trees to build houses, do you need a sawmill all the time, even in that scenario? No. So, and in fact, in our network, we have a guy who has a mill who mills. And yeah. we have another guy who has uh, put the, he's like bought the chainsaw and attachments to be able to do like large hewn. Yeah. And it may cost more than lumber did a year ago, but yeah. that's fine. We've got the, we've got the connections. That's yeah. why the underground network works, right? That's how it works is you have those relationships and that mill guy, he's milling as many, as much as he can all over the all state. The time. All the time. All the time. And he paid for it. So when you're like, well, what would I do for a business? <laughs> yeah, find maybe the mill. A, maybe a mill and maybe like a couple different kinds of milling capabilities. Like I've seen chainsaw mills and, you know, people say like, you know, you wear the chainsaw out. But you know what? The beauty of a chainsaw mill is buy another chainsaw. It's the least expensive piece in the whole apparatus. And like I do like the bandsaw mills better. I do think they, yeah. they, they do a better job. But like I, I think that like there's opportunity there. There's yeah, the chainsaw mill makes things small enough to go through the bandsaw mill. That's the thing. That's the other side, right? So like there's... you rough hewn and then you board cut, right? Mm-hmm. And, and then like the other thing is like I've seen a lot of the people who do the tiny house builds and the tiny cabin builds on YouTube. And then they have this beautiful like actual two by four lumber or two by six lumber that's actually two by six inches. And you're, you you know, you see somebody in the comments like, where'd you get that lumber? Oh, I bought it from the Amish. Right. And they're they're paying they're paying the same like the Amish are selling board lumber for mm-hmm. about the same price that Amish people have always sold, sold board lumber. Because it turns out cutting down a tree and making it into lumber costs about the same. Right. For the Amish. Right. So like Mennonite, I think, do that, too. Like there's certain places where they, they run their own mills. Like so reach out on stuff like that as well. Like can you get materials there? Like and you're getting better. You're getting better lumber. Yeah. As far as yeah. I'm concerned. You can buy ungraded. For, if you have mills in your state, you can buy ungraded, which means the thicknesses are variable, which makes beautiful looking siding on a cabin for cheap still. You know, maybe we could all get together and figure out some really motivated person that wanted to run a sawmill business that demonstrated competence and put together a good perspective. And maybe we could NFT partial ownership in his business. Great idea. Right? Yeah. And then how many things could we do that with? Because 
I can't fund that out of pocket, but I might fund 1% of it. Okay, and then we start transitioning that. to that federated ownership economy that I talked about earlier this week. Like, I think there's a lot of opportunity. What about, like, I would love it if I had someone locally that would roll up here once or twice a year with a trailer, open up the doors, set the killing cones up, and start dropping chickens in it. I would, and I didn't have to do anything. I said, there's there's a hundred chickens. Here's four hundred dollars, four Ben Franklins, or four hundred dollars in Bitcoin, or whatever you want. And then I didn't have to do shit. And I came back out a few hours later, and the chickens were all packaged up. Guess what would happen here once or twice a year? That would happen. Right. So that's another example. It's a high capital initial cost. I wouldn't take a bet on a bad risk, but a solid risk with like you fail. We get all the equipment and get to either put somebody else in place or resell it. Right. You know, maybe we could create something like that and maybe we could create an entire network of things like that, because I think there's plenty of people out there that are competent that want to do a thing. But we'd have to be really careful in who we chose to, to go with. But wouldn't that be interesting? What if you did it in a way like, okay, since we're funding it, you basically draw a salary initially. And all the profit goes to paying off the equipment. Hmm. And then we get some sort of like, like we're basically the bank. And maybe we're making 5.9% on our money, something reasonable interest rate. And then at the end of that, the NFT is actually holding into financing, though we don't call it that. And basically, equipment then transfers over. Then maybe you retain for the pool one or two percent of the profit, you know, in perpetuity. Like there's all like it's unlimited what we could be doing here. And I know of no law that prevents this. And I like things that I know of no law that prevents them. Like just like I wanted to throw that out there. I think we're about wrapped up, guys. We're at like an hour twenty five, and this is my early early out day. Uh, I got uh, <laughs> family coming into town today, and I'll, I appreciate you, Nicole and Tim, for being on with us. Y'all got any final words to everybody out there? Hey, just stay warm. It's been cold up here, but yeah, no, thanks for having me on again. Uh, I have one. Uh, it's the time of year when we're winding down and we're about to have free time. So mm-hmm. if you are also in that boat, boat, think about what's something you want to learn about that you can spend time watching videos, reading, whatever it is, because all of us have places we can increase our knowledge. And I was, I was having a conversation with somebody on Facebook about cryptocurrency and they said they'd never take a job that paid them in cryptocurrency. And I said, well, why? Cause you could just automate that if you need the cash to, tra- to, to magically transfer and deposit into your checking account. I'll never take a job me, that pays me, right? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, and if you make more money and, and they said, well, I live paycheck to paycheck, so I don't have time to figure that out. And I'm like, it does that. That will take Maybe you, you should stop doing that. First of all, half an hour, you know, <laughs> and, and, and then, and then they kept going after me about hating poor people. And I was like, fine, you win. Cause I'm not interested in having this conversation. All of us have weak areas in our knowledge like that. So think about that. And then my shameless uh, pitch for hollow roast coffee is December 15th is the shipping deadline for coffee gifts. If anybody wants to get one and there's an MSB discount. You know, the people that say that they're paycheck to paycheck and they, they hate being poor and, and I hate them for being poor when I'm trying to give them advice. My response to that, and it's, it sounds so nasty, but it's the only one I have. Have fun being poor. <laughs> right? I've just tried to help lift you out of poverty at least a little bit. And your response was, I hate you for being poor. Have fun being poor then. Like, yeah. uh, on what you just said, Nicole, about downtime. Yeah, we've got that coming. And I shut down from a few days before Christmas to New Year's. My goal is to get my shop set up in the back, but I'm adding to my shop 
for myself, but also for my grandson. And my wife wants to learn how to do stuff too. So um, we had Chris Prater here at the workshop. And he was he's the one that did the little pulls for us from the tree. That so my son and my father-in-law planted a tree when my son was like five years old or four years old, and it grew in a beautiful pecan. And we had to sell his house when he passed away. And I limbed off some limbs. And I had this gentleman take a lathe and hand turn a bunch of little poles that like go on a ceiling fan or an overhead light. And I gave them every member of the family so that every time they reached up and turned that fan on, you touch that and you have that memory. And we've always thought that was really cool. And somebody should maybe do that as a business or somebody should do that. All you'd have to do is somebody ships you a branch and, you know, I can get X number out of this and they're $3 a piece. Well, you do that with a wood lathe. Well, my wife and my grandson have become fascinated with wood turning. And there's like, there's some channels on wood turning that are like, holy crap. I watched a guy pour epoxy over a, a pine cone yesterday and then oh. turn it into two coffee spoons, Nicole. And cool. they were gorgeous. It was like a bronze epoxy. And then all the pieces of the, the pine cone were in there. And like, they're fascinated with that. So I'm going to set that up and I'm probably going to invest in like a CNC router. And finally get my freaking 3D printer going and like, that's a whole shop of, 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 of enterprising. And like, okay, if you, if you can build that, if you have the resource to do that, why can't you have a mini makerspace? And isn't that a way to build community? Like there's so yeah. much that we could be doing that we're not doing that nothing stops it. And then if it's a makerspace, but it's not a makerspace, it's a jacker space, right? Or a Nicole <laughs> space or a Timber space, then mm-hmm. it's a private, it's not publicly available. It's private membership. So all of their bullshit. I'm sorry. Do you have a membership card? No. Hello. My name is, my name's essential (laughs) and I'm on the list and you're not and you got to go. And I want to throw out a little hit for John Willis here at original SOE tactical gear. Um, Nicole's got one too. Think while it's still, I have that one too. He sent it to me. (laughs) And then this one says, hello. My name is essential. And uh, he's got a lot of really great shirts, even if you're not into the tactical bags and stuff, which he makes awesome. Get over and check out his shirts. There is a link in the show notes. Guys, thanks for being with us. Everybody in the audience, thanks for being with us. That's an hour 30. It's time to wrap. You guys have a great day. Bye, Nicole. Bye, Tim. Have a good day, guys. You pull yourself up. They keep bringing you down. Are they going to bail you out or just run you around? You should have a house the American way. A dollar down, a dollar a month, and you never have to pay. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Sometimes we forget 
there's nothing I can do It's the price we pay, I guess We follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way Revolution.